You're listening to the Co-Main Event Podcast. And now your hosts, Ben Folks and Chad Dundas. That's right. You're listening to another episode of the Co-Main Event Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Chad Dunnis. That's Ben Folks. We're both senior writers in MMA for The Athletic, and we meet here every single week to chop up all the prominent, newsworthy, and hilarious happenings in the world of mixed martial arts. Ben, how you doing this week? I'm doing okay. I think that, though, Chad, we are about to be confronted with a big choice to make. Is this about your roof? Well, no, that's, that's a different choice. That's a choice for me, me and my God, to yeah. make alone. We'll get to the roof in, in a little bit. Did you hear Guns N' Roses is coming to Missoula? I did see that. Uh, I saw it on Facebook this morning, and then I scrolled through a cavalcade of negative comments oh, no. uh, from the haters. Oh, no. Yeah, the haters are out in force vis-a-vis Guns N' Roses turning up in Missoula, Montana, circa 2020. Sounds like end of August, down there at the college football stadium. Oh, they're playing the stadium. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. What'd you think? You think Guns N' Roses is going to roll in here to the top hat? I mean, for all I know, Guns N' Roses is playing mostly bowling alleys on this latest tour. You know what you sound like right now is one of the haters. <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying fame is a fickle thing, folks. It comes and goes with the wind. Are you in or are you out? That's what I need to know. I'm going to need to know some dates. August 28th, I believe. It's like end of August. Guns and Roses coming down here. It sounds like a great opportunity to just ruin some important childhood nostalgia for yourself. To end up sad, but also possibly drunk. And Ooh, August 28th is a Friday. Get to say you went and saw Guns N' Roses. That's probably right before school starts. There you go. Probably the last hurrah before the kids go back <laughs> to school. There you go. We get a couple sleeveless tees on. We get out there. We catch some rays. Maybe uh, other co-maniacs in the area. Caravan down here. We all just roll up in force to see G and fucking R. You know what? I'm a hard maybe. We're going to work on that. Leaning, leaning toward yes, but right now hard maybe. Okay. You'll, I'm telling you, you're not going to want to miss that. You, do, you do you really want to wake up Saturday morning, check the Facebooks, see all the, the pictures and the fun late night posts from everybody who went to see Guns N' Roses without you? You don't want that. You don't want to live that life. That's true, though I do want to wake up Saturday morning without a headache or a uh, – Kind of a queasy feeling in my gut, scratchy feeling in the eyeballs, a lot of fatigue. We'll get you we'll get you that gallon of water thing to carry around that you like. Okay. We'll they let me bring that in. Okay. Yeah. To the football sure. stadium. We'll get you a camelback thing to strap on. Most of you know by now that my novel The Blaze is hot off the presses and out there in the world. You can go get it. Wherever fine books are sold, I'd love it if you would. It's a mystery, a thriller. I think you're gonna like it. Run out and grab the blaze today, wherever Fine books are sold in whatever format you like reading. Remember, if you have read it and you do enjoy it, please also go leave me a five-star review at Amazon or Goodreads or wherever you like. Those reviews do help the book. So do me a favor. Buy, read, rate, and review The Blaze. You know, wherever it's easiest for you. I appreciate it. What's the set? Are you New York Times bestseller yet? We're you getting sold there. Them all? We're getting there. Are there still books available? You haven't sold them all. There's still books available, I think. But people should act fast. Yeah, because people for should all definitely. You know, oh, yeah, yeah. We're down to like the last. Hot, selling like hotcakes. Only a few left. I mean, you got Get about, on it right now. You got about 15 of them on the bookshelf right behind me. So that's it's good to know that that reserve exists. That's the author stock, my friend. If we need to draw upon it. You write a book, they send you a few of them, turns out. How about that? <laughs> what perks? 
Don't forget, you can also run out and get CME logo t-shirts right now over at CottonBureau.com. We got those for sale. We got Cowboy Astronaut Cigarettes t-shirts for sale. We got Dundasso t-shirts for sale. Those are always available on demand all the time whenever you want them. Just go over to CottonBureau.com and drape those old bones in some CME merchandise today. We got music this week from Stockholm-based producer Simeo, a.k.a. co-main event podcast listener Alfred Larson. If you like what you hear from him on the show, you can and check out more over at soundcloud.com slash semio. That's S-E-E-M-I-O. Semio. Three rounds as usual this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one, can Dominic Reyes beat John Jones this weekend at UFC 247? And more importantly, what would a UFC light heavyweight division look like under the Reyes era? Wow. And in round number two, John Jones back again for his fourth fight in 13 months. What does victory look like here for Johnny Bones? And if he damn well does the damn thing we all think he's damn sure going to do, what the damn is next for the greatest damn light heavyweight in the damn history of time? And in round number three, the rest of the UFC 247 card looks pretty, pretty, pretty... Well, not that great, actually. In the wake of a Conor McGregor card that looked pretty similar, is this the new normal? And what else, if anything, should we be paying attention to this weekend? All that, plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff? But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail. Listener mail. I'll admit, even just hearing the words Reyes era, I wasn't ready for it. Dominic Reyes era. I mean, I'm glad... Maybe that we're talking about the possibility on Monday. Because if you force me to just suddenly shift to where I have to go from like uh, on a dime, living in the Reyes era, I don't know if I'm. I don't know if I could do it. My no. mind might explode. Yeah, no, that's why we want to get an early start, get everyone prepared for the possibility of the Reyes era. And yet, I don't know if it's going to be necessary in the end. First piece of listener mail comes to us this week from Big Dog Lukey. Okay. He writes, your boy, former UFC fighter Cassius Clay Collard, fucked around and upset a prospect in boxing, knocking out undefeated Raymond Garayardo. Nailed it. What the fuck? So that's the question. Do you see this? You <laughs> yes. watch this fight? Yeah. Here's the thing. If you're out there in co-main event podcast listener land and you haven't seen former UFC fighter Clay Cassius Collard fuck around and uh, knock out an undefeated boxing prospect over the weekend. You really got to go watch it because we don't recommend a lot of boxing fights here on the CME, but this is a fun fight. Well, Big Dog Lukey helped us out here by including the YouTube link in no, his that's, email to that's us. that's me. Oh, okay. I put that in there as a note to you when okay. I sent you the listener mail. Well, we saw, I don't know if you saw, it was, I heard about it through our athletic Slack channel over the weekend where our editor Dan Stupp pointed out and was like, hey, I don't know if anybody noticed, but... Cassius Clay Collar got brought in basically to be a stepping stone and then decided, you know what, not so much. And you were talking about his little celebration thing that he does. Yeah, after he does like a uh, Mr. Peanut style marching slash running celebration. I don't know if that's really what he would have said he was going for was Mr. Peanut, but I can't really disagree with you. It Seeing that made me think, is it possible that... Uh, Clay Collard himself did not give too much thought to like, <laughs> like he didn't maybe sign this fight and think like, okay, but what am I going to do when I inevitably win? Yeah. It's one of the interesting things about this fight is that I feel like you can kind of feel it as Clay Collard starts to understand that he's going to win this thing or that he can win this thing. Because uh, at the beginning, he starts tagging this guy a couple times. By the way, commentary team 
early on, totally no sell on the fact that Clay Collard keeps punching this guy right in his damn face. <laughs> yes, yeah. They're just going to ignore that for a while until they no longer can. But it sort of feels like, you know, this thing goes into the second round. The first round is, is I believe there's three knockdowns. Yeah, two, back and forth. A uh, couple of back and forth knockdowns. But you can sort of see Clay Collard figure out like, okay, if I wing this dude to the body really hard and then come back upstairs, seems to be working for me. And my punches seem to be hurting him. And then, you know, he goes on to win the fight by stoppage there in the second round. So it's a fun fight to watch. And we referred to Clay Collard as a former UFC fighter, but I don't know if that's accurate. He just fought April of 2019. He's on a two-fight win streak here. Lucas Montoya and Randall Wallace, his last two opponents in the, in the uh, oh no, those aren't in the UFC, I'm sorry, uh, Steel Fist Fight Night. Don't know how I could have missed that one. No, a lot of people confuse Steel Fist Fight Night for the UFC. And that in Final Fight Championship 35. Okay. Which kind of makes me wonder if it really is the final one. You know what I mean? <laughs> you think maybe they've been stringing this along? Well, it's, if it's Final Fight Championship 35, yeah. it sounds like maybe uh, like with the Dundasso t-shirts where you got to go get them before they disappear forever. <laughs> we're just, we're, we can't just rush right into the Final Fight Championship. you got to build up to it. Yeah, my apologies. His last UFC fight was 2015, and he did finish on a two-fight losing streak before uh, kind of going on a tear here at Steel Fist Fight Night. And final fight night, he is uh, four and one since that time. So they said on the boxing broadcast that after this boxing match, he was planning to rededicate himself to mixed martial arts. I wonder if that's still true. Yeah. Well, you know what though? This is the kind of shit that I'm into. If you were going to tell everybody how you want to be a pro boxer and you're super serious about it, you want a career in boxing. All right, man. Do what your boy Cassius Clay Collar did and go out there and fight somebody at the Complex Arena in Salt Lake City. Go, uh, do something out down there at the Performance Arts Center in Dearborn. Because that's, that's what it looks like to actually create a boxing career. Not just be like, I would like to announce that I will be making my boxing debut against one of the best boxers in the world. And I will have clearly given no thought to what happens if I win that fight and therefore become myself one of the greatest boxers in the world. Because I'm just in it for the paycheck. Cassius Clay Collard, meanwhile, out here... Really doing it. Doing it in Salt Lake City, Utah. Doing, doing it, the, it in Dearborn, Michigan. At the Sugar Mill in New Orleans. He's out there at uh, the Meadows Racetrack and Casino in beautiful Washington, Pennsylvania. Seagate Convention Center in Toledo. Granddaddy of them all. Did you notice, though, he has three draws already on his boxing record. Yeah, he does. Like, not, not that many. He has 11 pro boxing bouts. Three mm. draws. Yeah, you don't see like that a, a lot. Uh, a six-round, a four-round, and another six-round draw for Cassius Clay Collard. But you know what? Does my heart good to see an MMA fighter go over there? Think they think that he's just going to be another name on the record? And oh no, not your boy Cassius Clay Collard. They didn't. They must not have known about his nickname. Well, that's uh, that? one of the things I was going to say is that I kind of feel like Cassius Clay Collard plays a little bit better in boxing, if nothing yes, else. Yeah. It's not like you are, it's not like your nickname is a reference to a great, just in a completely different sport. Right. As it is over in MMA. It does, though, perhaps set up overly lofty expectations. That's something to consider. <laughs> there is that. Well, you know, you got to uh, sell high. Try to put yourself out there. Good advice from Chad Dundas. Clay Collard, only 26 years old at this point, Ben. He's probably still got a lot of fighting time left. So uh, who knows what will be next? I assume Floyd Mayweather. Yep. Going to fight Floyd Mayweather at the uh, International Space Station. Yeah. That's in May. He actually has a lot of 
actual boxing experience for an MMA fighter that would get to fight Floyd Mayweather. Yes. Yeah. Next question this week comes to us from Devin Scott, who writes, there were some retroactive USADA suspensions announced this weekend. Diego Sanchez and Ovin St. Prue faced three-month suspensions, which likely didn't impede their timeline to compete. So if USADA is selectively allowing some athletes to test positives in the picograms and issuing meaningless suspensions for trace flag substances, I am unclear as to why they are testing that threshold altogether. Uh, what's your take and solution? So this... I think would go, fall under these new rules that the right. UFC enacted to its drug testing policy last year, late last year, that some substances like Osterine, for example, which a lot of MMA fighters have tested positive for allegedly due to uh, contaminated supplements. If you test under a certain threshold amount for one of these substances where they have established these, these limits, uh, you receive either no suspension or a much shorter suspension than you otherwise would under the UFC USADA drug testing policy. So you see both Diego Sanchez and OSP here getting relatively minor suspensions, which I assume uh, just means, hey, you fucked up. Yes. You're not using, you probably weren't using one of these supplements that we told you you should use that are right. uh, certified by these various organizations. But... We don't think you did it on purpose. This The ESPN report says that basically they got any suspension at all or any action at all because they started using the supplements prior to the policy change and also were not using certified supplements. Okay. So basically it's a way to just be like, you fucked up. We want to let you and everybody else know you fucked up, but we don't actually want to level any meaningful punishment. In a direct answer to Devin Scott's question here, I have to say... I don't totally know how the process of the drug tests work. I don't know if you can select to be like, okay, we are only going to test for a certain uh, amount of Austrian. Well, you could be like, if it comes back below a certain amount, we don't even tell anybody. Yeah, you could do that. I mean, I don't know. I feel like this particular wrinkle in the UFC drug testing policy, if you're going to take it at face value, is kind of the right way to go. Like... There's a, a punishment if you're out here using supplements that are more or less unregulated in the Wild West. You're just kind of taking whatever you might be taking, your drug or not, explode. And, uh, you know, you, you test positive, but at a level that makes it seem like it was a contaminated supplement, not necessarily that you're out here jacking Osterine like a madman. Uh, I feel like this is kind of kind of the right way to go. Yeah. Though it does, for one thing, a little bit surprised to hear Diego Sanchez is basically... Many years as he's gotten the game, veteran of this sport, and he's what, like, taking some stuff off the shelf at GNC? Because you remember that one time when Diego Sanchez decided it was Stevia that was going to, yeah. like, uh, save his life, right? See, save his career? Why, if Diego Sanchez popped positive for Stones of the Earth, if he popped positive for, for crystals, for healing crystals, I'd be like, yeah, this tracks. I'm not right, surprised. But also, somebody at the gym could have, <laughs> like, uh, uh, like, you know those... Uh, those containers that you get the powdered Gatorade in. Yeah. Oh, Someone yeah. could have a bottle of that and be like, hey, Diego, this powder in here is magic. <laughs> and if you take it, you will, uh, the hand of God will be upon you and you will be endowed with great, but some would say terrible powers. Now, <laughs> at your okay. own risk here, my friend, I will sell it to you for 2,500 bucks. He's taking that, right? And then maybe there's some Osterine in there. I guess... We were surprised in the old days to find out how many people were still taking supplements that they're just, you know, rolling the dice, basically. You don't have any way of knowing what's in it. 
other people keep getting popped for it, and it's a big deal, especially for other for like Tom Lawler and like Sugar Sean O'Malley, people like that. It was a big hindrance to their career, the consequences of that. And it we were, essentially ended Tom Lawler's UFC career. And we were sitting here going, why, why is anybody still taking this stuff if the risk of this happening is apparently so great and you can't really ever be sure that you're completely free of that risk? And now it seems like the policy shift is going to have the effect of it being like, okay, everybody's stupid and they're going to do this anyway. So... Now we've just decided, like, if you can prove that you were just kind of dumb about it and you, you just took that risk anyway, then we'll kind of say, okay. So I guess, is it saying, like, well, we've given up on trying to talk anybody out of these unregulated supplements? I mean, to me, it is surprising that anybody has taken anything in this day and age. Although these this latest uh, edit to the UFC drug testing policy, I guess, lessens the the negative connotations a little bit, the negative consequences a little bit. But like, I don't understand how the risk is worth it. Unless you really feel like taking these supplements, these over-the-counter supplements are the thing that is standing between you and greatness. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I don't feel, I don't really, under, and granted, I don't know if you can tell by watching me on the live stream, but I am not a high-level professional athlete. Yet. Yet. Once I start taking these supplements, different story. <laughs> Get on some juggernaut irate. I'm not a high-level professional athlete, so I can't say from experience, but it would just be amazing to me if people, as grueling as MMA training is and as hard as it is on your body, it would just really astound me if people were like, oh, I couldn't do it without my my my, B, my B12 supplements that I get down at GNC. Yeah. I'd be on the, I'd be on the bench without these things. Maybe that Austrian is good stuff, whether, whether you know you're getting it or not. Maybe so. Next question this week comes to us from Ben Gabriel, writing in under his real name. We appreciate that. Friend of the podcast, enough. Ben Gabriel. Since you dudes are such huge Iowa Hawkeyes fans, oh, I'm sure go. you know, but for everyone else, number one Iowa beat number two Penn State Friday night in wrestling. It was a real barn burner with upsets on both sides. My question is, why isn't college wrestling a larger part of the MMA conversation? While everyone lauds the talent of a wrestler, nobody's actually talking about the damn sport. Hell, I remember a few years ago, Dana White was even bad-mouthing the Olympics instead of reminding viewers there would be wrestling and boxing. And judo. If MMA is to continue, wouldn't we want to build up and popularize the sports that develop the fighters? Hey, do you want to guess where uh, Ben Gabriel went to university? University of Iowa. Yeah. Yeah, how about that? Um, this is an interesting question, though, because... Yeah. Is the, do you think the answer is as simple as, they don't stand in bang, bro? I think the answer is as simple as that no one understands it. Like... The, no one understands, like, the scoring and right, yeah, rules like of wrestling? The, I mean, as, as, as much as it suffers in popularity and as much as, like, people kind of complain about it a lot... Amateur wrestling doesn't do a ton to like on ramp people. You know what I mean? Like there's it's not kind a, of an insider sport. Probably if you went out there and looked for it, you could find some like tutorials about how wrestling works and like what's the difference between folk style and uh, freestyle and uh, you know how to score some points and how the whole thing works, how to get your riding time. But like, I don't know, man, I cover MMA for a long time and I couldn't sit here and explain to you exactly how an amateur wrestling match works. I've seen Vision Quest. So I know some stuff. Okay. That's important. That's an important background to have. Do you think that people would get more interested 
if it seemed like there was a more direct through line, like, hey, if you watch the NCAA championships or something, you are kind of guaranteed to see somebody who's going to matter in MMA in three to four years. Yeah. Or, I mean, especially because it seems like if you're really, really good at wrestling in the, at the collegiate level, then the Olympics is what next, what's next for you usually. Like, that's the dream. And then some of those people, if they don't quite make it in the Olympics, or sometimes if they do, then afterwards when they're looking for a career, we'll think about MMA. But if you really think about how many people have gone through, like being somebody who is a, a capital G guy in NCAA wrestling, and then how many of them become capital G guys in MMA, it's a pretty small percentage. Yeah, and I think it's starting to change a little bit now that maybe, or maybe this is just my perception, but it seems to me like the like younger up-and-coming wrestlers are starting to uh, voice a, an interest in MMA a little bit more than they used to. Uh, and maybe it's a money and uh, exposure issue, or maybe just because everybody has Twitter now. So every, you know, 175-pounder out there at Purdue can jump on online and be like, hell yeah, I'm going to fight in the UFC. Just wait. I'm coming for you, all you welterweights out there, probably lightweights. Uh so I don't know. But I mean, the same thing is kind of true of like kickboxing though, right? Like maybe kick, kickboxing probably doesn't produce as many uh, future MMA fighters as amateur wrestlers, just because if you're a kickboxer, you're probably already a pro if you're at that level. But at the same time, like there are MMA fans who like to watch kickboxing, but it doesn't seem like it's a significant number. Yeah. Well, and maybe some of it is just that if you're really good at one thing, by the time you got really good at that thing, maybe it's a little less appealing to be like, okay, now start over in this other thing. Right. Where your your background will give you a good base to work from, but you're still, you're still going to be a beginner in that thing. Like Greg Jackson used to say is that one of the things that he thinks makes a good fighter is a mentality that allows them to be comfortable putting on the white belt all over again. That you might come in with some stuff you're really good at, but unless you are willing to put on the white belt in the sense that like you really want to learn these other things that you don't know yet, rather than just like begrudgingly being like, all right, I guess I got to have some of this too. But really what I enjoy working on is the stuff I'm already good at. Like Those are the people that don't really get to that next level. You got to be willing to, to be a beginner and to be humbled all over again in order to actually make those gains. Yeah. Last question this week comes to us from Doug Delaney, who writes, Hey, my dudes, did you see the social media pic this week of Scotty Cokes all up in his shorts meeting the Paul brothers, parenthetically Logan and Jake, about Logan possibly fighting in MMA for Bellator? Now, I think it's fine if DAZN, spelled out, DAZN, or whatever, helps keep the heat and the lights on by blocking the occasional, or by booking the occasional fight between two guys where I have to ask my 14-year-old son why they are famous. But... One or both of the brothers, Paul, actually featured on a Bellator broadcast seems like a bridge too far. Is it? Or hashtag would watch? First of all, I thought that this was like, I thought it was a figure of speech all up in his shorts. I was like, what does that mean? Does that mean that he was really excited or what? Like, no, it just means he was wearing shorts. Oh, yeah. There's a, there's a picture of Scott <laughs> Coker wearing shorts with the, uh, with the Paul brothers. And who else is there? Some... I don't know, man. That guy be referred to as a hanger-on? I don't watch YouTube. I don't know who these people are. I mean, that guy could be the most famous guy on YouTube, and we wouldn't know. Yeah. I love everything about Scott Coker's fashion aesthetic here, though, by the way. I mean, way. he lives in Cali, right? He looks like a like a middle-aged dad running out for donuts on a Saturday morning to get for his kids. Mm -hmm. Like, you know. I mean, Coker's probably headed to the golf course right there, and Bellator 
people were like, hey, Logan Paul is here. Do you want to meet with him? Yeah. He's like, yeah, I think I can squeeze it, it in before my it, tea time. Why it not? It looks like he was going down to the high school to walk around the track. Yeah. <laughs> to get his steps in. Oh, and, that is what it looks like. And, I mean, and I say this like as a middle-aged dad. Yeah. So, like, I, we know our own. Yeah. We can spot the aesthetic. He got the Niners hat on. He's got, like, the little kind of, like, warm-up uh, like pull over on there and all these other like cool YouTube kids are out here um, doing their fist poses and whatnot. Also though, did you see Scott Cooper posted this picture and then later felt, I guess because of enough uh, response to it, then posted a response to his own picture, which just says it was just a lunch guys. <laughs> like calm the fuck down everybody. See, now that's a classic Scott Coker tweet classic. right there. Classic Scotty Cokes. All right, but let's say, just for, uh, you know, uh, stoking the fire. Okay. Well, what if Logan Paul comes over here and is going to fight in Bellator? He's going to have a Bellator fight. It's going to be on uh, either television or DAZN. Is Ben Folks in or out? Bro. Bro, Chad. We had Dada 5000 fighting up here in Bellator. True, true. After that, you're not going to tell me that we couldn't possibly foresee a world in which Logan Paul fights in Bellator. Yeah. I would say the only concern is, can Bellator afford Logan Paul? Yeah, that's a, probably a valid question, because those guys we're led to believe are making some money over there with their uh, celebrity boxing events. Although... TIFFs. I'm going to call them TIFFs. Celebrity boxing TIFF is what they had. Do you think, if you get two guys in there who, you know, they train a little bit, but they're far from being professional athlete level, is it easier for them to pull off a boxing match without seeming like total frauds than it would be a mixed martial arts fight mm, or is it the other way around i think it'd be easier to pull off the thing that requires less like a, a, a you know let's say a lower total number of skills a less diverse skill set with boxing you could put the giant shorts on and just kind of go out there and, and throw them bungalows people are going to know if your punches look terrible but at least you're not you know trying to do a whizzer or uh i got a triangle choke a guy on the ground okay so you just got to have more skills if you want to do it in MMA, I would think. Yeah. Well, man. Plus, not... MMA people are probably going to be way meaner. Do you think? I don't know. I guess I don't have a lot of... Uh, I'm not knee-deep in the in bo- the boxing Twitterverse, so I don't know how mean it is. But MMA people are probably going to be pretty ruthless if uh, Logan Paul comes over and tries to fight somebody. But then if you have somebody like Logan Paul come over and fight in your organization, it seems to me that the MMA people are not the people that that is geared toward. Like, that's not what you're hoping to accomplish, is that, like, I, man, I hope our existing audience, who has already All signed right. up for DAZN and loves our shit, uh, will be really into it. Like, no, you're hoping that other people who have never heard of you before come over and watch this. So that, I guess, the, my follow-up question would be, what are you hoping to accomplish? Are you hoping to accomplish that a bunch of 13-year-old YouTube kids, like, watch Bellator, and that becomes their new shit? Yes. Yeah. Seems like a false hope Optimistic. Optimistic, yes. Yeah. But, hey... It was just a lunch, guys. It was just a lunch. He was all up in his shorts. So. Did you see the guy? I can't remember who it was, but somebody, I believe it was some sports writer, tweeted yesterday during the, the Super Bowl that his kid, his teenage kid who only watches YouTube videos, uh, didn't know how to turn the television on to watch the Super Bowl. You know, my children ended up watching a little bit of the Super Bowl. And when I was like gathering together snacks and everything, and it was like, okay, we're going to watch the Super Bowl this afternoon. And they were like, okay, when are we going to watch it? And I was like, oh, like an hour and a half from now. And then they're like, oh, can we just start it now? I was like, 
no, no, we can't. Yeah. Not how that works. We went up to uh, my stepdad, my mom's house, because it was my stepdad's birthday last night. And they, of course, had the Super Bowl on. And my four-year-old was super mad that the Super Bowl was on TV. He wanted to put something. He was basically did the same thing. He was like, I want to watch a show. Maybe we could watch this thing later. And I was like, no, this like it only happens once a year. Like It's happening right now. It's live TV. And then my parents also tried to tell my children that sometimes the best part of the Super Bowl was the commercials, which I was kind of like... Let's not. Can we maybe we just steer him away from that? Yeah, at least for a while. But my daughter and two sons all looked at my mom like she was fucking out of her mind when she said that. My daughter's watched one of the commercials and then immediately was like, "Hey, I know we could go to the store and we could get that." I was like, "Yep, this <laughs> is what this is what they do. That's how they work. That's what the uh, that's what the commercials do." All right, that's going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks. You know how to do it. Go to the website, comainevent.com, and click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast. That'll get you in touch with us. While you're there, you can uh, sign up for the Breakfast of Champions newsletter. That comes out every Friday morning to catch you up on the news and notes that we miss on the days that we're not recording the podcast. Stuff always happens. News always breaks. The newsletter itself is informative. It's short. We would love to tell you it's funny. And if you don't like it, it's really easy to unsubscribe. As for right now, though... We're going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, Dominic Reyes... Rolls into his fight against John Jones this weekend at UFC 247 for the UFC light heavyweight title. 12 and 0, including six straight wins in the UFC, capped by his minute and 43 second KO of former middleweight champion Chris Weidman. Reyes is 30 years old. He's got the size, anyway, and maybe the skills that you would think theoretically. Could make him a threat to John Jones. Six foot four, 77 inch reach. We've seen the striking. We know what he's capable of. First of all, my question for you is A, are you buying it? You're going to give me the questions one at a time? Yeah. Are you buying Dominic Reyes as a legitimate threat to to the reign of Jonathan Dwight Jones? As legitimate a threat as exists at the moment. Yes, I'll say that. Now, that sounds like a compliment, but if you look at the general landscape of the light heavyweight division, I'm not sure how many threats are out there for John Jones. He just, of course, had something of a squeaker in his last fight out, Uh, but we've talked a little bit on the show previously about how 205 pounds right now, uh, there are some interesting up-and-coming prospects, you know, guys like Johnny Walker. I guess he got to throw Corey Anderson in there as maybe aside from Dominic Reyes, the best prepared guy on his way up to fight John Jones at this point. But I'm not sure we're looking around at any of these guys and saying, well, here is the guy who's going to dethrone John Jones. Here is the serious threat to the ongoing reign of Johnny Bones. So I guess I would agree with you that among that group, Dominic Reyes seems like the most dangerous. I'm just not totally sure, you know, how dangerous those guys are. However, one of the things that spices this matchup up, don't you agree, is... uh, John Jones's last appearance. Yes. Because he appeared as though he was uh, more troubled 
I guess you would say, than we might have thought from the size and the power of Tiago Santos back at UFC 239. Uh, and like as one of those John Jones performances, as I, we've talked a little bit on uh, this show, maybe some of the uh, Patreon properties, John Jones can do this thing where it seems like he's trying to beat you at your own game. He doesn't particularly show a lot of urgency in terms of getting the fight done. I don't know if the power and danger of Tiago Santos kind of froze John Jones a little bit, but it was a little bit of a tepid performance. And it ends up being a split decision. And maybe it was a reminder as we watched it, like, oh, John Jones could, in fact, fuck around and lose one of these fights. Yeah. Yeah. And that feels like the greatest threat to John Jones's title reign is John Jones himself. Now, the thing about Dominic Reyes is, even though I don't look at him and go, okay, this guy is built to beat John Jones, uh, I do look at him and go, this is definitely the next fight that makes sense for John Jones. Yeah. If you look at what Dominic Reyes has done in the, in the division, and I mean, you could, like, uh, especially if you look at like the last four fights where things start to get serious for him, where he beats Jared Cannonier, now a middleweight, uh, Ovin St. Prue, Vulcan Ozdemir, Secret of the Ooze, and then former middleweight Chris Weidman. Now, if there's anybody not in a position to be criticizing people for beating up middleweights, it's maybe John Jones right now. And But... A long storied history of UFC light heavyweight champions beating up middleweights. Yeah, but at the same time, you look at this list, and again, maybe it just speaks to what's happening at 205 pounds right now. But there, there's nobody even close. Not you know, not that there are John Jones figures walking around everywhere, but like in terms of competition that he's faced, you look at this list and think there is no one on here that is even close to what. Dominic Reyes faces this weekend. Right. I don't even know there's anyone on here that you look at it and you think like, oh, that could have prepared him for it. Right. But then if you look at John Jones and you ask what has historically given him the most trouble, mm -hmm. I guess two things would be one under preparing himself or like just not seeming as motivated or not seeming like he's trained as hard for a fight. That's probably the, the toughest fight we've ever seen him in, that first Alexander Gustafson fight. But the other is size, that he gets really used to using his own size and range against people. And if you get him in there with somebody who is of a similar size, there have been times where he has looked a little less comfortable with that, or just like his some of his normal stuff doesn't work quite as well against those people. And so I can see how maybe you talk yourself into thinking that Dominic Reyes is that guy. The thing that I wonder about, though, is you go in there, you're Dominic Reyes, you're 12-0, you've had, you know, you had that main event on like a UFC on ESPN card against Chris Weidman, so that was kind of a big fight, but you've never been in anything like this before. Yeah. Where you're going to go in there and fight John Jones, who at this point in his title reign is so supremely confident and has just been through it all in there at this point. Like, with what could you hope to surprise John Jones at this point? Like, what what would you be hoping that he gets worried about or yeah. scared of in there? Yeah, I mean, Reyes hits really hard, right? He's got that going for him. And like we said, he's he's big and he's rangy. And it seems like if someone is going to defeat John Jones via anything other than razor-sharp split decision caused by John Jones's inactivity... It's probably going to be because Jones goes out there, messes around on his feet a little bit too much, and gets hit. He will get hit. We've seen him get hit in the past. So I think Dominic Reyes has a shot because he's got those striking skills that he can fall back on. And, and it's it's always going to be possible 
you know, that he's he stuns John Jones with something or knocks him out and, and ends up finishing him. One of the questions I have, though, is just whether or not, I guess the general question is how John Jones will per- approach this fight in the wake of that Tiago Santos fight where, you know, John Jones is analytical enough and he comes from an analytical enough camp or don't just sit down and you watch that fight after it's over and you realize, you know, I came close to losing this. Like maybe my own kind of uh, inattention to detail or my own inactivity, my own complacency almost cost me this one. And if I wanted to show some urgency against Dominic Reyes, I should maybe try to do something a little different because it's been a long time since we saw John Jones be the kind of like smothering wrestler that we've seen him be in the past where he goes out there and he like gets somebody with a weird ass leg sweep that looks right. like his leg is like 12 feet long. He swings it around and, and leg sweeps a guy. If you look at the, like the, the overall skill set of Dominic Reyes, I would think that the path to victory here for John Jones is like a takedown and a submission perhaps because, you know, Jones or uh, Reyes, we know about his boxing skills uh, he might be a little bit light in the grappling department as a former uh, Stony Brook football player, and at least according to his Wikipedia page, a blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Uh, obviously, that can mean a lot of different things in, in terms of pure skill, but like, if I was running the camp for John Jones, I might recommend, hey man, this is maybe one where uh, we want to get in and out with like a rear naked choke in the first round. Right. Well, I... <laughs> I was watching uh, Ariel Helwani's interview with John Jones where he asked him about the Tiago Santos fight. Like, uh, you know, you took some criticism for that one for it not being a super spectacular fight. Do you feel that the criticism was unfair? And, of course, he did, did think that the criticism was unfair. And, and Really? Surprising. <laughs> but he also seemed to allow that, like, hey, they're not all going to be great ones. I yeah. still won. And I'm... I know how hard it is to just continue winning these fights and to even if you do have an off night, it's not so off that you actually lose. It, it's like, and, and that is, I think, a fair point. If to be like, he's so dominant at this point that when people see him in a fight that goes to the distance and that is close on the scorecards, they think of it not as John Jones ran into a pretty tough guy here this time out. They think of it as John Jones could have finished yeah. this. He could have done more and he just chose not to either because he was too risk-averse or, or whatever. And that is like a sign of what we think of his dominance, that we look at him against a uh, top light heavyweight in the world and go like, well, the only reason this guy lasted five rounds is because John Jones didn't really care enough to go in there and get rid of him. Yeah. Uh, and, the, you know, it still reflects itself when people talk about how they think this matchup's going to go. But I also see how if you're John Jones and you're looking at some of these fights... You're going, why do I want to take an unnecessary risk to finish him? Why, just so you guys will tell me good job this time and then, you know, forget about it next time? Why put myself in a situation to, like, make it more likely for this guy to hurt me if I don't think he can otherwise? Yeah, yeah. And I can't really argue with that, too, especially because you know how you're getting paid these days is, like, you're out there getting your points on the pay-per-view, and you don't get that if you don't have the title in most cases. So. right. All right, well, we teased this in the beginning, so let's talk about it a little bit. What happens if Dominic Reyes wins this fight? Uh, Is there any way that he wins this fight that does not result in an immediate rematch? Like, is there a a path to victory for Dominic Reyes where a a rematch is out of the question? Only if he hurts John Jones very badly and John Jones cannot physically do a rematch within a reasonable amount of time. Yeah. The break John John Jones has an Anderson Silva style leg break. 
Okay. Maybe then. Then he's out for a couple of years. Uh, he's got to call Marcos up and get the yeah. tie sex juice to come back and get in the cage. I think he knows where they keep the tie sex juice. Uh, well, according to his own story, yeah, apparently he does. Uh, yeah, that might be right. I feel like one punch knockout. Let's say Dominic Reyes lands one in the first round, knocks John Joe's out. We're definitely doing a rematch. Oh, I think almost any scenario. Not only what because... What if he beats the shit out of him for 25 minutes? Like, what if it's just like a complete and utter destruction of John Jones, shocking destruction of John Jones by Dominic Reyes for all five rounds. Then I would ask, for one thing, which universe does that take place in? Because it ain't this one. Okay. But also, who else is there right now where you'd be like, okay, now that Dominic Reyes is champion, it makes sense for him to fight this guy as his first title defense. Well, let's say this for the sake of argument then. Let's say Dominic Reyes... Messes around and beats John Jones. And when it's over, John Jones says, I'm going to heavyweight. I will not stick around in the light heavyweight division any longer. What does a UFC 205 pound division in the Reyes era look like? Man. Is it just bleak as an MFer? Or is there fun stuff to be had there? I think there might be some fun stuff to be had. I think for at least a little while, we might enjoy the fresh novelty of it. Somebody else sitting in the big chair. And some fresh matchups. Tell you one thing, guys like Lusty Gusty are rethinking career moves at yeah. that point. Yeah, Anthony at Smith point, is trying to find uh, out how to how to get in here. Alexander Gustafson would be like a wolf that smelled something in the air, or hurt like his ears would just pop up, like he heard something. I think that that might be fun for a little while. I also think, man, if if Dominic Reyes were to beat John Jones. There is no way that John Jones would not become absolutely obsessed with murdering Dominic Reyes in a rematch. There's no way. Yeah, Dominic Reyes would probably be lucky if it was just in a rematch. If he was just not obsessed with just murdering him. He was calling him up at night and being like, are you still there, pussy? It's me, John Jones. We know he has a bunch of guns, so that's right. a little worrisome. Let's do, uh, are you fucking kidding me? And then we will move on to uh, round number two. Ben, what is your, are you fucking kidding me? Well, did you see that uh, your boy Ariel Helwani had Colby Covington on? I knew this is where you were going. Colby Covington is out there speaking again. This is the... <laughs> he is out there speaking. This is the equivalent of a slow-pitch softball for the... For Are You Fucking Kidding Me? The problem is picking one of his statements to make it Are You Fucking Kidding Me about. But one thing, him wanting to have a celebrity boxing match with 50 Cent in which he will tie one hand behind his back. That That's one candidate. I saw somebody on Twitter asking who would be the celebrity uh, in that Ooh. boxing match. So, um, But I want to focus on Colby Covington's list of grievances about the Kamaru Usman fight. Okay. Let's hear He has a bunch of them about how he thinks he was wronged in that fight. <laughs> and this will be good. This is interesting. How was he wronged? Um, he has bullet points. He says... What actually happened? Let's talk about the bullet points. Um, one bullet point, he's talking about the, the fouls that he feels like were not called fairly by referee Mark Goddard. Uh, from the MMA junkie story about his appearance. At one point, Goddard stopped the action for a groin shot by Covington. Later, he called a timeout for an eye poke by Covington. Uh, and, of course, Covington thinks uh, 
Kamar Usman faked both. Quote, in the second, I get a timeout. Oh, nice job. Let me call a nut shot. The dude got hit in the liver and was ready to fold up like a lawn chair. Then all of a sudden he wants to call a nut shot? That's the fakest foul I've ever heard of in all of fighting. In the third round, Marty fake Newsman gets poked in the left eye. He's holding his right eye. He's selling to the doctor that, oh, my right eye, my right eye. Dude, you got poked in the left eye. What are you doing? You're faker than fake. That's why you're Marty fake Newsman. Well, but... You'll notice that implicit in this complaint is, is the admission that he yeah. did poke him in one of his eyes. Yeah. We go to the fourth round, and oh, I get poked by Marty Fake Newsman. Mark wow, Goddard. He's really. Uh, yeah, no, he's all in on that. He's, he's, a, he's uh, dedicated to that. He's all in on Marty Fake Newsman. <laughs> he's as into that as Kamaru Usman is to the Cuban coffee and uh, Jorge Masvidal's ass. Mark Goddard looks at me. No more timeouts. You guys keep fighting. No more timeouts. I'm not stopping it. So he sees a clear foul where I get poked. Let's talk about the fifth round. I'm beating his ass again. I've won the whole entire fight. Editorial note, no. No, that's not true. The fight is mine. They're about to wrap the welterweight championship around my waist. Then all of a sudden, I slip on a banana peel and I'm getting hit in the back of the head. Mark Goddard is seeing this right in front of his face. I'm getting hit in the back of the head. Go look at the video in the fifth round. I took four shots to the back of the head. I'm completely coherent and I cover up the back of my head. When I cover up the back of my head, he calls the fight. Uh, also, he later extends his complaints to the Nevada Athletic Commission for, quote, releasing my corner audio. I guess that's the one where he says he thinks he broke his jaw, which he now says he didn't. I thought we were supposed to be 25 feet away in the octagon. They're not supposed to have, there's not supposed to be any audio of the corner or what's going on in between rounds. How is it possible that gets broadcasted to the world? Are you fucking kidding me? Has Colby Covington never even seen a UFC fight? <laughs> is he not familiar with how this even goes? Look, man, if you are going to like list a series of grievances, the, the upshot of which is you saying, claiming you were robbed of a win in a welterweight title fight, pick and choose. Because you include stuff like this, like the corner audio thing that is a thing that's been going on forever, then maybe people think Colby Covington is out here just running his damn mouth, yeah. just saying anything he can think of. Oh, wait, yeah, that's been his entire bullshit shtick. Are you fucking kidding me? Fucking kidding me. Well, Ben, speaking of Kamaru Usman, do you see him uh, go on, what is this? I believe he goes on Joe Rogan. He's on the Joe Rogan MMA show here, talking about not only his goals in fighting, but what he wants to do when, when his career is done. Okay. First of all, he says, I'm shooting for $250 million. <laughs> Me too. That's what, yeah, we got that's that what he wants to make in his MMA career. So I don't know. You fucking kidding me? <laughs> all right. That one felt a little half-hearted. Then he says, well, I mean, I'm rooting for the guy. Okay, I want right, him to yeah, make $250 right. million, but are you fucking kidding me? All the same. Here's what he says. I want to be a marriage counselor. Okay. Usman says, I think I've always been very good at being able to step back from situations of what's going on and give advice. <laughs> that is an interesting thing to think that you are good at. I do this with my friends. <laughs> I want to be just a counselor of some sort, Usman said. When I leave this world, I assume he means MMA, not this earthly not coil. <laughs> Uh, I want to leave it in a. Oh wait, I want to leave it in a better situation than no, when that it is came the, in. So he is the land of the living, the, uh, yeah. land of the living. There, uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm not. I think Kamaru Usman might be a good counselor. Maybe if he goes to school and gets the proper certifications. But this, this is the dude who we just saw, counselor Kamaru Usman, hollering at Jorge Masvidal <laughs> from 25 feet away at Super Bowl Media Day. Mm-hmm. 
So let's say you're in a, in a marriage, <laughs> a struggling marriage. Yeah. You, you take it to Marty Fake Newsman. <laughs> and your wife is like, I think we need counseling. I found this uh, former fighter, former welterweight <laughs> champion of the world. I think we should go see him. You put him into Google. And there's Kamara Usman yelling at Jorge Masvidal at the Take, Super Bowl. Taking off his jaunty hat. And you're like, let's do this. <laughs> this let's is go guy. see this guy. If he can't help us, nobody can. You fucking kidding me? <laughs> fucking kidding me? It's just, for me, a little bit of a personality red flag when I hear anybody say, one thing I think I'm really good at is giving people advice <laughs> and telling them what they should do. Yeah. I do it with my friends all the time. They love it. They absolutely love it when I do this. <laughs> That is going to do it for round number one. We will be right back with round number two. Jed, before we get started on round number two, you want to know how this here podcast survives to bring people the unfettered discourse? How does it do that, Ben? It survives via the generous patronage of listeners like you. Not you, Chad Dundas, but you, everybody else but Chad Dundas. Hmm, how does that work? Well, you see, Chad, you just go to patreon.com slash co-main event. You become a patron of this here podcast at the $1, 5 or $10 level. And then you allow us to continue doing the damn thing week in, week out, multiple offerings per week. You got your Monday podcast. You got your Wednesday live chat. You got the CME movie club. You got the Friday Patreon power hour. That's a whole nother podcast each week, which includes the most powerful entity on all of broadcast media, the Patreon power hour, power rankings. Power rankings. Plus, you get to just support Two guys are out here doing this shit independently on their own, trying to make an ongoing fun space and MMA podcast and community for us all to just enjoy like a bunch of shit-eating wild people. And we can't do it without you. Patreon.com slash co-main event will be your best friend. We'll come to your house. We'll rake the leaves in your front yard. Chad will give you a hug that lasts just a little bit too long. Awkward hug. Please help us out here. I heard you uh, send some more koozies out. Is that true? I did. I even got us a stamp made so that now I can stop writing the co-main event podcast P.O. Box return address. Just stamping that shit out. Boom, boom, boom. That's big time. Having a stamp, that's big time. That is big time. Yeah. Now, Jonathan Dwight Jones enters the cage here for yet another UFC light heavyweight title defense. Here, again, it feels like for maybe the third or fourth time, John Jones is telling us that he has turned over a new leaf. He's finally matured. He's figured some stuff out. This is from him talking to uh, Errol Helwani. This same, I believe, the, the same interview that I referenced earlier on. Uh, he's kind of talking about all the things that he's been through and about his past, all that kind of stuff. He says that... Uh, I do feel like the storm is behind me. It's been an interesting journey and I've learned so much and I'm just grateful. I'm grateful to have had all the lessons that I've been able to learn. I'm grateful that God has kept me through all of it and just allowed me to grow so much through it all. I think my best days are definitely still ahead of me. I feel like I'm just now really getting into a nice groove of what it means to be a father and a professional athlete and a person with great responsibility. And I'm excited about this and I feel like I'm stepping into it well. Uh, and then Errol asked him, like, basically, how did you get on this new track? 
I just feel like maybe I was at a place where I felt like I was throwing a lot of greatness away. And I believe that talent, it's a terrible thing to waste. I feel like these days, I just take more accountability for my actions and from my emotions, my circle and behaviors and things like that. And I think that's been the major difference. Just more accountability. Now... Is this basically the same thing that we've heard from John Jones before? Like, hey, I know I have screwed up in the past and let people down, but now I've got it all figured out and I'm about to get serious out this motherfucker and everybody's, it's over for you bitches, basically. He's doing that thing, like, but over and over and over again. Yeah, well, I don't think anybody sitting at home watching is thinking that we're out of the woods with John Jones, right? Really? But he seems to be telling us again that we are, that yeah. all that stuff is behind him. Don't worry about it now. Okay, well, I mean... I guess in, to his credit, you got to uh, at least give him credit for having kept up a fairly regular UFC schedule over the last year or so, basically since his December 29th, 2018 fight against Alexander Gustafson at UFC 232. Uh, this will be his fourth fight since then, as I said at the beginning of the show. So he fought Lusty Gusty, he fought Anthony Smith, and he fought Tiago, Tiago Santos uh, basically in just a little over a year's time. From from right now. However, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page right here, and you can see the bold headline, Battery Charge. Yeah. That, I believe, is uh, under the larger Wikipedia headline, Controversies. Yep. That is a subset of the Controversies section of John Jones's uh, Wikipedia page, which, by the way, I'm beginning to scroll the Controversies page now. And now I've reached the bottom. Yeah, that's pretty fast scrolling. But this battery charge, which, of course, we all remember as the uh, alleged incident that took place in the Albuquerque Strip Club, TD's Eubank Show Club, uh, in April of 2019. So, less than a year ago, as we sit here today. So, I don't know, man. Like, Jones eventually pleaded no contest and received a 90-day deferred sentence whereby he must avoid arrest, not violate the law, consume no alcohol or drugs, and not return to the scene. So, he's he got 86 from TD. 86 by Jones. court. Yeah. By order of the court. So, I mean... Well, that's only for 90 days, though. He can go back after 90 days, right? Yeah, I don't know. Like, we would be fools, I think, to take John Jones's word for it at this point because, like you said, we've heard him say this kind of stuff time and time again. And it was only April that he had this latest run-in with the law. But at the same time, like, yeah, man, this will be his fourth fight in one year. So I suppose from a purely competitive standpoint, he has kept kept it in the cage. He's kept himself, as uh, Daniel Cormier would say, he's kept himself from getting, what did he say? Like uh, He's still eligible for yeah, competition. eligible for competition. So you got to give him credit for that. But, like, let's not act like it's been... Longer than uh, two minutes since we had this battery charge thing in the news. Here's a question for you. Since we're just going to talk about the the John Jones athletic and performance-wise, separate from the John Jones personal life stuff. If John Jones goes out here and wins a decision here, let's say, you know, maybe not a split decision like over Tiago Santos. Let's say it's pretty clear, but it's also... One of those fights where it's pretty clear that John Jones is the better fighter in the second round, and then we just kind of rinse and repeat for the full distance. Do you think people come away from that going like, all right, well, hey, John Jones is still the best. You got to still admire the guy's greatness. He's talking about how he's, he's not throwing the greatness away anymore, and clearly that's true. Is that enough? Or do you think we're nearing any kind of psychological point when people are going to go, you know what? This guy is really good, but these aren't that fun to watch. 
Well, I think it's an important fight for him, not only to like kind of make it fun to watch, but sort of reassert his dominance over the 205 pound division. If you take like the Anthony Smith fight from UFC 235 back in March and the Tiago Santos fight, UFC 239, like neither one of those fights uh, did he look particularly overwhelming. Like he was way out in front of Anthony Smith from the start to the finish, but it was one of those fights where you felt like Jones could have done more. And then you might be able to say the same thing about the Oven St. Prue fight from UFC 197 in April of 2016, which is for the interim light heavyweight title. Remember that one? It was like... It That's the one where Daniel Cormier was doing commentary and being like, I wish I could have fought this John Jones. Right. So if you just look at what John Jones has done over the last five years, he beat Daniel Cormier at UFC 182, and there were large swaths of this thing where he was not eligible for competition. So he beats Cormier. He beats Ovin St. Prue by kind of lackluster decision. Uh, then he uh, he beats... Cormier again, but he gets overturned because he tests positive for Turinabal. And then you got the three fights, Alexander Gustafson rematch, Anthony Smith, Tiago Santos. So if he goes out there and has like a definitive but somewhat lackluster or tepid performance about Dominic Reyes, and you look at the complete body of work over five years, I think it's at least possible that people start to say maybe John Jones is either not as urgent as he once was or at 32 years old maybe he's slowing down a little bit i mean a lot of it obviously is going to depend on how this fight looks but that's why i said i think it's an important fight for him i think if he goes out there and blows the doors off dominic reyes then we'll all just be uh content and happy with john jones's 205 pound dominance but if he doesn't do that uh, maybe you got to look at the thing and be like is this still the same john jones that was out there destroying people you know eight years ago if he does go out there and he dominates Reyes here, let's say, you know, third or fourth round TKO, but there's never a moment in which John Jones is not in charge. And afterwards, we're able, maybe even does one of those cool sweeps you like to see so much. Oh, I'd love it. Maybe some, maybe I'd even some it. old spinning shit, just like the old days, throwing a crazy spinning back elbow or something. I will send John Jones a crisp $5 bill in the mail if he leg sweeps Dominic Reyes in this fight. I already have the return address stamp you can put on it. Uh... Let's say he does that and reasserts his dominance in emphatic fashion. Do you think then the feeling coming out of that is, all right, hey, man, it's time. Heavyweight. It's time to go up there and do the shit at heavyweight because there's nothing left to do here. A little bit, yeah. I mean, I wrote a thing on The Athletic about what it would take for uh, 2020 to be a special year at heavyweight. And I think that's one of the things that could happen that that could make it a special year for heavyweight. It seems like if you're John Jones and you're going to move up, the time would be now after the defeat of Dominic Reyes, if indeed that does happen, because you just look around the landscape of the 205 pound division. Like we talked about earlier, if Dominic Reyes gets vanquished in somewhat dominating fashion, are you going to want to stick around to fight Corey Anderson? Are you going to want to stick around to fight Johnny Walker? Or do you kind of chase the paydays up there against frankly, almost anyone? In the heavyweight division. That's the thing that I find most fascinating about the idea of John Jones at heavyweight is that, you know, these two light potential light heavyweight matchups, I would argue are both a little bit ho-hum. John Jones versus Corey Anderson, John Jones versus Johnny Walker. Eh, I think you could talk up or talk down those fights however you want. You pick a name out of the goddamn hat at heavyweight for John Jones, and it's an immediate hashtag would watch situation. And so as a fan, I want to see it. I think as a guy who wants to see the sport uh, continue in good health, it would be the thing to see. And like, frankly, 
just the heavyweight division sort of finally living up to its potential as the marquee division of the UFC, the one thing that could happen to make that sort of true would be if John Jones shows up there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you think he needs a body transformation? Carnivore diet? I feel less Dead confident lifts. about his... Yeah, lots of deadlifts. I feel less confident about his prospects there after the Tiago Santos fight, to be honest with you. Because in that fight, it looked like he was bothered by the power and like size of Santos. And Santos is out there with his fucking knees all fucked up, man. But see, if, that's, if you're going to try to sell me a John Jones fight after he's dominating all these light heavyweights, especially when he's dominating them and then and content to just win by a little bit and not need to blow anybody completely away you need nothing is going to sell a john jones fight now more than the strong possibility that he will not be up for it that he will get knocked out yeah and that you can do that against a lot of different heavyweights like and you can't really do it that much against with too many light heavyweights right now even dominic reyes you're like okay he hits hard he's knocked some people out okay sure fine but a lot of people have gone in there with john jones with essentially a puncher's chance and you know, Glover Teixeira hit hard and didn't ever really get close enough to landing a punch to like a serious punch to do anything with it. So if you put him in one of those heavyweight fights where you're like, okay, now I think John Jones might not uh, know what he's in for. That's a would buy for a lot of people who are sitting out a lot of John Jones fights. Especially if you think about the timing of the whole thing, uh, where Stipe Miocic might be out until summer. And he might come back, and we think he's going to fight Daniel Cormier. It's a little bit of a of a gray area right now, but that's the fight to make. I think we all know it. Uh, you would have the you would either have the winner of that fight as a potential John Jones opponent, assuming that Francis Ngannou gets by the biggie boy. When is that fight? Early March. Mm-hmm, I think so. Assuming he wins that, there's another guy you could basically plug and play in a, a John Jones rematch. And, you know, like I wrote about in the athletic, maybe it's sort of an outside chance, but couldn't help but notice during Aaron Bronstetter's uh, interview with Dana White, where he likes to give him the odds and uh, Dana White picks either yes or no, that Dana White took the odds both on John Jones moving up to heavyweight in 2020 and with Brock Lesnar coming back to fight in the UFC in 2020. So if that were a possibility, like, we're all going to roll our eyes about the return of a 43-year-old Brock Lesnar to mixed martial arts. But if I told you Brock Lesnar is going to fight John Jones in the co-main event of the end-of-the-year pay-per-view, headlined by Stipe Miocic slash Daniel Cormier against Francis Ngannou, you are fucking buying that, and anyone who tells me they're not is a goddamn liar. Wow. Wow, that's forceful. And yet I can't sit here and say you're wrong. If I gave you the field... The heavyweight field, and you could choose any heavyweight, maybe not even just in the UFC, but on the planet of Earth, <laughs> to fight John Jones. Who do you pick? Stipe. Yeah. Well, if he beats DC, though, or like, just no questions asked. Well, as we sit here right now, Stipe. So is that just because he's the champion, or is that because he's there's a matchup there that you like? Both. I mean, if he loses the the rematch to or the rubber match to Cormier, he doesn't have the belt anymore, then it loses a whole lot of... Then Then I probably go Francis Ngannou. Yeah. John Jones against Francis Ngannou would be interesting. Enticing. The thing is, Give too, it to me, it's mine. You know John Jones would start out trying to play nice guy with Francis Ngannou, but he wouldn't be able to resist taking some digs at him just because he can't. Yeah. Probably. He can't do it. Anyway, that's going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. 
we are going to start off round three with an email from our guy, Matt Webb. Okay. This came in via the listener mail. He writes, guys, looking at the pay-per-view main card for UFC 247, and I've got to say, it looks fucking shitty. <laughs> wow, you really leaned into the uh, pronunciation there. I like well, it's it. It's got a bunch of T's and a bunch yeah, of Y's well, on here. So I can't I say that, that with it. feels inaccurate. Why is the UFC making a habit of where a card has only one and a half good fights on it? The Derek Lewis versus Alir Latifi fight, I'm all for it. But Mirsad Bektik versus Dan Ige, uh, Juan Adams versus Justin Taffa, even Caitlin Chukagian versus Valentina Shevchenko has all the ingredients of a Tylenol PM. What's up with all these bum-ass cards lately? Uh, for the first time in a long time, I'm skipping this shit. I'll find the highlights of John Jones defeating Dominic Reyes by unanimous decision on the gram the next day. The UFC has taken my 65 bucks for a lesser product for the last time. So, to the CME, I ask... How come the UFC is making a habit out of making their actual pay-per-view cards the weakest? Why they do this? Parenthetically, Junior Dos Santos voice. Okay, that's a solid listener mail email right there. Had to get it on the air. Yeah. And they thought it was a natural fit here for round number three, where we're kind of going to look over the UFC 247 card. We spent a lot of time, time, obviously, talking about John Jones, Dominic Reyes, but you got four other fights here on the main card, and then six preliminary fights to choose from but i feel like matt webb has a good point here this is the second pay-per-view in a row after ufc 246 where you had a very top heavy main event conor mcgregor versus cowboy cerrone and now john jones versus dominic reyes and the rest of it with i guess apologies to the women's flyweight champion it looks a little eh yeah and i don't think that that's a thing we have to apologize to the women's flyweight champion for because one of the things that makes that fight seem like it's not so spectacular is that it just seems so one-sided yeah i think i was looking at the odds earlier i have to look it up now valentina shevchenko was a huge favorite and she might be the biggest favorite on the card and it did feel like even when they put that fight together that it was basically the ufc asking the same question that we had asked which is what do you do now who do you give valentina shevchenko now and going somebody and yeah uh valentina shevchenko comes into this one as high as a 14 to 1 favorite. Woo! 14 to 1. Yeah. No one else even close to that on this card. So that tells you a little bit about what kind of fight it is. And yeah, it especially, if you can't offer up some fights or like at least a full fight card, a full main card where it seems like, okay, well, there's just so much good stuff in here. I really want to settle in for the entire thing. I want to sit there for three hours and just be completely entranced by every single fight. And if it feels like there's a lot of filler or stuff where it's like, okay, like Derek Lewis versus Alir Latifi, you're kicking off the pay-per-view with that one. And it seems like we all know what you're hoping for is that you get a first round Derek Lewis, my balls was hot knockout. Yeah. And you're probably going to get it. But then also I understand, and I don't blame anybody for making this calculation at this point when the UFC is serving up cards like that and you're going, man, I know that I'm going to be able to find this shit after it's over. I know it's not like this is going to be my only chance to view this in a timely fashion. So if you're not giving me something that feels like a total, like, as a whole product worth the money, then I'm going to sit it out. Yeah, and so I guess the question is, what's going on here? Not that we necessarily want to blow out of proportion UFC's 246 and 247, but, you know, it's been a long time now where everyone's kind of been talking about oversaturation, the sort of stretching too thin the UFC uh, roster via the live event schedule. And now 
you know, we are, we're just kind of getting our feet under us here in terms of the UFC only offering its pay-per-views through ESPN plus. And we know the UFC is of course picking up an additional licensing fee for the, each of those pay-per-views that it offers through ESPN plus. So what is happening here? If anything, Ben, is this the new normal that we're going to have like slightly more of a boxing style uh, model here where we get one or two big time championship fights, maybe one fight that everybody wants to see and the rest is is sort of middling? And is it because of those licensing fees? Or is, it, is this, again, simply a numbers game with the UFC where there's so many damn events and there's so many fighters that uh, it, it has kind of a haphazard feel, to be honest. It's just sort of like, well, we, there's a bunch of people who are available, so they're out there. Yeah, I mean, I think it's there's a little bit of everything going on there. Uh, one, I think when you already know that you're your pay-per-views are behind an extra paywall and like Dana White basically admitted that that was hurting pay-per-view sales. When he bragged about how well the Conor McGregor pay-per-view was going to do by saying it was going to do back that it was trending to do numbers that they had done on traditional pay-per-view. The flip side of that is being like, we aren't doing that these days for most of our stuff. And that's kind of a big admission for him to make. And so when you already know that that's the situation and, but you also already know that to some extent you're getting paid regardless, thanks to the licensing fees from uh, ESPN, then you don't have the same incentive to really load up and try to go for a home run pay-per-view. But then I also think that a bar, uh, the numbers game is a big part of it because you've got so many different cards to fill and you got to make sure that they all have something. You know, you you got to spread it around a little bit, but then it, you don't have that much to spread. So it ends up being kind of thin. pretty much. And uh, especially... You're, if you start with something thin in this business, we've seen how one or two injury withdrawals can take you to having almost nothing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is one of those cards where you better hope everybody who's booked shows up healthy and, and makes weight. You, you wouldn't want to lose John Jones versus Dominic Reyes particularly, but uh, you're already, as you said, dealing with kind of a thin uh, talent pool here. I agree with Matt Webb that Derek Lewis versus Alir Latifi is one that is just probably going to be fun, although perhaps not healthy for the bricklayer. Yes. Uh, and, the, you know, Juan Adams versus Justin Taffa is one that, hard to know how that's going to go. Mirsad Dektik, obviously at one time a real hot featherweight prospect, trying to sort of put things back together there. And then Shevchenko is just sort of, feels like we know what we're going to get from Shevchenko at this point. She's yeah. going to overwhelm somebody. Uh, maybe there's a knockout in there somewhere or or a very one-sided unanimous decision. But yeah, it's hard for me to uh, say that if I was sitting at home thinking about what I was going to do with my 65, 70 bucks, unless that I felt like I absolutely couldn't miss John Jones versus Dominic Reyes, which I suppose is a possibility. But man, this is one that's, uh, I don't know if that I could justify spending that much money on. Yeah. Well, you know, somebody uh, asked me in the, my mailbag today for The Athletic where they were like, why don't we just take one or two of these big title fights and put them on actual ESPN? And maybe you do huge ratings and maybe yeah. it helps you overall. And made me flash back to when we did that with the heavyweight goddamn title to start off the UFC on Fox deal. And it worked. Yeah, it did do big numbers. That fight did big numbers. Almost 9 million people, I think, was the peak. And that was for a fight that where it was the only one fight on the card that you broadcast on Fox, and it was over in 64 seconds. Yeah. Like, if it had lasted, you know, even one round, you'd probably break 10 million with that. And yet, 
even doing that, seeing that it worked, seeing that it worked really, really well for everybody, the UFC never did it again. Never did anything ever close to that yeah. on Big Fox again. And then over the years, as the cards got worse, the numbers just steadily declined. Yeah. And so when you see that, that tells me that it's not like they don't know that you could do this, that you could take one big fight, not reap the pay-per-view money, just put it on big TV and get a whole bunch of people to watch it. They know they could do that. They're just deciding that, you know what, the audience growth days are not our focus anymore. Like, we're just trying to get paid right now. And I think that is a big explanation for what you see as far as quality of UFC pay-per-views. Yeah, but but I agree with you that I feel like it would be cool to see them do that. I feel like it would be cool to do like a one-hour special on ESPN where there were maybe two fights, you know, and then you... uh you try to put some people on there that you think are, are good and, and are going to be popular. And, of course, you'd like to see a title fight on there. But at the same time, it's a little bit like trying to play both sides of the fence because you still got this pay-per-view slate that you got to keep filled. So as long as you're going to keep doing that, I think you got to, you know, you got to try to keep the champions uh, for the pay-per-view so people want to buy them. But I agree. I mean, I'm basically in favor of trying to shake things up almost any possible way. At this point, I don't know if that just speaks to how long I've been watching this shit or like the general feel of the product over the last several years. But like, give me something new. Yeah. And uh, and I'll give it a chance. And yeah, that feels like the one thing that definitely not willing to do because the UFC is pretty sure that they're geniuses at this. They know everything there is to know about this. Why would they do anything differently? They're making so much fucking money. How could they not be geniuses? Everything must be great if you're making all that money. All right. Let's do just saying stuff, Ben, and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben. I'm going to do my just saying stuff because it it has to do with all the stuff we just talked about for this round. Not to let the people too far behind the curtain here, but more and more you and I are having to have conversations behind the scenes where we try to figure out exactly how we're going to format the show and how we're going to talk about these UFC pay-per-views that have a pretty good main event and a pretty lackluster main card. More and more it feels like we are resorting to the format that we used on today's show where we're essentially going to use the first two rounds to talk about the main event and then this third round is sort of just a catch-all for anything else uh, we think might be worth talking about uh, anything else that might be of interest when there's nothing that seems like it's going to fill a whole round so I guess this week I'm just saying that doesn't seem great it doesn't seem great (laughs) great for whom that doesn't seem great for anybody true just saying. Just saying. Jen, I'm going to I'm gonna read you some odds. These are actual odds on the UFC 247 main event. And I want you to tell me what bet you're taking. Oh, okay. This is like the Aaron Bronstetter interview with Dana White. Kind of. Except these are real odds and you could actually bet on these things. Okay. And I'm a genius when it comes to betting. Yeah. So, wait, do I need to say this is for entertainment purposes only? Well, entertainment purposes only. Do not bet my bets because that would be like the worst thing you could possibly do. Odds that the fight goes to a decision. Plus 175. We're talking about the main event? Main event. Oh, I'd take that. Yeah, plus 175. Why not? $20 you never want to see yeah. it again? Odds a fight is a draw plus 8,000. I mean, that's a lot of money, but I'm probably not taking it. A draw. A draw would be... don't see a whole lot of those. Yeah, I don't see a lot of those in title fights. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Remember that, that the fight was a draw plus 8,000. That was the line on that. Dominic Reyes, by decision, plus 1125. 
the odds are higher of Dominic Reyes, or like the, the odds are longer of Dominic Reyes winning by decision than they are that the fight ends in the very rarely seen draw. Uh, yeah. You I taking mean, we that just, bet? We just spent some time talking about how Dominic Reyes could win a decision here if John Jones shows up and never gets out of second gear. So I would, yeah, put some money on that. I never want to see again. Why not? Okay, give me $20. No, no, no you're not staking me here. You're not the, uh, you're not the bookie. If I was going to make a bet, I'd make a bet with someone else, not you. That hurts. You're disreputable, my that's, friend. That's hurtful. I'm just saying... I'm a little surprised by the difference in the line between Reyes by decision and Reyes but in, in uh, the fight ending in a draw. Yeah. But I'm just saying, I could almost tuck myself into it. You know what I'm saying? It is right after the first of the month. We did, we just got paid. How about this? Me and you, we both throw in a little money. You will you give me your money? I'll take it. I'll put it with mine. I'll lay Wait the bet down. I already don't like this. <laughs> I'll lay the bet down, and then I'll I'll let you know how it turns out. What do I you say? No, don't like it. Don't like it. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. That's going to do it for this week's Co-Main Event Podcast. Uh, we'll be back on Wednesday for the Patreon live chat. That's open to all levels of patrons. And then, of course, uh, we've got the Athletic live chat on Thursday. We will be back again on Friday for the Patreon Power Hour Fight Watch Party. I can do a Fight Watch Party. UFC 247 Fight Watch Party, Ben's house, Saturday whoa, night. Whoa, 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 whoa. We'll be there. Whoa. And we want to be over here in the nook, my man, with the good internet. Flying with the Nighthawk. You know what? That's not going to be a great idea because my uh, my kids' cousins are going to be with us all weekend. Jesus Christ. So that'll be your house. Let's work on it. Saturday. We'll work on something there. Uh, we will be back again on Monday, a week from today, where we will break down all the stuff that happens at UFC 247 and start looking ahead to future stuff. As for right now, though, we are done. We are through. We are out. Ben. Tell the people about your roof. I don't know what's going on with my roof, you guys. There's a big wind event. Windstorm blew a bunch of uh, roofing tiles off the top of your house. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe they blew in from next door? Possibly. I think they're probably from my house, but I can't see where. Tell the people the brainstorm that you came up with and how you're going to see what your roof looks like. The back part of the roof, because it's houses on a hill, you can't see the top of the roof from the backyard. So then I thought, maybe this is all the excuse I need to purchase a drone. Low control drone flying up there, get a look at the top of that. A, get a look see, see what's going on up there. B, then I own a drone. C, when I finally have to call a roofer to come fix it, I can be like, hey, can you also get my drone off the roof while you're up there? My question is, is this a drone purchasing situation or just a drone borrowing situation? Who the fuck am I gonna borrow a drone? Military? Can I use you your drone? With the military? What's your drone doing no, right you now, can't Chad? Use my drone, man. So flying over your house right now. I just, I learned to be wary when I come up with a solution where I'm also really excited about it. <laughs> like, if it sounds too fun, then I'm like, maybe, maybe this isn't the solution I'm looking I, for. It sounds like a start of a horror movie to me. You're going to fly your drone up there and see some spooky shit on top of your house. Witch. You're going to see a witch up there. Yeah, it's a, a good ghost ex- of some kind. It's a solid inciting incident. <laughs>